Good morning. How are y'all? Good. Uh, my name is Fred. I get to be the lead pastor here, and I am very glad to be here. Um, uh, here's what I hope happens today. One, I do hope that you leave this place with more uh, trust in Jesus uh, than you had walking in. Uh, as Matt said, said as, as, as we sang, uh, we are all coming to this place today from all kinds of different places, right? From all kinds of different struggles in our week. Uh, and here's what I know. No matter what you come in here with, Jesus is the answer to that. In some way, shape, manner, or form, Jesus is the answer. And so I hope that you leave today uh, trusting him more and, and more willing to let whatever that is be found only in Jesus. Now, I want to do a little experiment as we start off. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say a phrase. phrase. There we go. I'm going to say a phrase. Um, that goes to a game that, this is the experience, uh, experiment part, that I think we all played or have played at some point. And I'll know that because if you're able to finish the phrase, then my experiment's right. We have all played it. So we'll finish the phrase together, and then we will say what the game is. All right? So, so here's the phrase. Are you ready? Ready or not, here... Here I come. Right. Very good. Ready or not, here I come. What game is that from? Hide and seek. All right. So we all have played hide and seek, right? We all know what it's like uh, to, to, to have this, this common experience where, uh, you know, the, the person that's it starts counting and you run and hide, right? And we know what it's like to find the perfect place to hide right? Where you know no one's going to find you. We also know what it's like for that person that that's it when they start coming close to where you're hiding. Like, what do you do? Like, like you stop breathing. You stop making any noise you can because you hope that they will just pass on by, right? Like, like we all know what it's like to, to hide. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold on to that feeling, Right? Hold on to that feeling of hiding. Hold on to that feeling of, 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 of not wanting to be found because that's what we're going to see today. What we're going to see today is, is someone that doesn't want to be found. But here's what we're also going to see. We're going to see Jesus lovingly find her. And when he does, there is no shame. Uh, there is no guilt. There is just her and Jesus. And we're going to see something beautiful happen in that. And so in Jesus finding her, here's what I hope. I hope that we allow Jesus to meet us in those places where we're hiding, right? That we allow Jesus to meet us in those places where we really don't want to be found, right? Because, because when we do, we'll see that when Jesus meets us there, he does something incredible for us. And what's interesting is we'll see that he doesn't just do that for us. He does it for the people around us, right? So go ahead and open up your Bible to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be in verse 40 through 56. And as you're turning there, we're doing this series called Questions, where we're focusing in on the questions that Jesus asks people. Now, Jesus asked over 400 questions in the gospel as one of his primary modes of teaching. He would ask a question to, to expose what people were thinking, to expose what was in their heart, and then he would speak truth to that, and he would point them to himself. He would point them to the kingdom of God. He would correct uh, what they were thinking. 
right? And, and, and so that's what he did is he used questions to, to do this. And in asking those questions, what we get to see is Jesus shows us who he really is. And he shows us how we can trust him more. And so when he asks those questions, it's for us as people who read those questions, they're there to show us Jesus and to help us grow to trust him more. And so whenever you see a question of Jesus, just think of these two words, show and grow, right? What is this question showing me about Jesus? And that by believing it, I can grow to trust him more. Show and grow. Because that's what we're going to do. As we, as we jump into today, today's passage, uh, you know, because we're going to be jumping around the four Gospels for the next uh, 11 weeks. And so I think painting a context of what the verse is that we're looking at is important. And today we're in the Gospel of Luke. And, and if you remember, Luke wasn't one of the 12 disciples with Jesus. When you read the Gospels, Luke's name isn't there except for the author of one of the Gospels, right? He wrote, he wrote this, the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. Because what Jesus did is, I mean, what Luke did is he came to faith in Jesus later, but being a good doctor, he was used to talking to people and he was used to, to diagnosing things and he was used to listening to people. And so what Luke did is he interviewed people who had been with Jesus. He interviewed people who had seen the resurrection and he compiled these stories together that they told to come up with the, what we know as the gospel of Luke. And so, so as, as we read this, you, you know, we have to understand that Luke was a doctor. And so as he wrote what we see of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke is that uh, this, we see this human side of Luke. And if you remember, we talked about the different Gospels last week and how each Gospel was written for a specific thing. The book of Matthew uh, was written to, so that we could see Jesus as what? Do you remember? Matt King, do you remember what we see Matthew as? A king, right? Right? We see Jesus as king, Right? And, and then uh, in, in Mark, we see him as this servant. He is our humble example. In Luke, we see that he is human, right? He is the God who we can connect with because he's been in our shoes. And, so, and then in the book of John, we see that he is God. And when you see all four of those gospels put together, you get this really great kind of 3D picture of who Jesus is. That, that he is God and he is man. Right, that he is king and that he is servant. And, and so we have those four. Well, in today's passage in the Gospel of Luke, what, what just happened right before our passage today is, is like crazy town. Like literally. Because Jesus uh, ministers to this guy who is naked naked. Right? Crazy out of his mind naked. And we're going to go to his story uh, in a couple of weeks, but, but, but he talks to this guy and he casts demons out of this guy and all of a sudden this guy is clothed and in his right mind. I mean, crazy, crazy, crazy stuff that Jesus did. Well, he leaves that, you know, that happened in this deserted place. Well, now we pick up and Jesus has this crowd around him. They've heard what he's done. Because everybody knows about the, the, the crazy naked guy, right? Like, if that was in our town, we would know about the crazy naked guy. Imagine being in a small town. They know about the crazy naked guy over there. And all of a sudden now, he's healed. And he's in his right mind. And so people are like, I've got to see who this Jesus is. And that's where we pick up today is where this crowd is. Look at, look at Luke chapter 8. 
Verse 40, it says this. It says, now when Jesus returns, when he came back to where he was, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of a synagogue. And so, so, so what this means is that the crowd saw the demon-possessed man, they saw him made well, and they wanted more of that. Now, this was a major event. Jairus was, uh, think of him as like a Jewish pastor, right? He's the leader of a synagogue, a local synagogue there, and, and, and he's a very respected person. So, so Luke is kind of doing this thing where he's like, he's like contrasting, right? You have the crazy guy, the naked crazy guy, that Jesus heals, and now you've got this respected leader that comes to Jesus, right? And, and, and the people are watching Jarius because, because what he does, they would most likely do as well. It, it, it's a position of respect and authority, right? And so, so, so look at what Jarius does. It says, in falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. All right, so, so a couple of things that pop out there is, is what position did Jairus take to Jesus? You see that? that he's falling at Jesus' feet. Now hold on to that because we're going to see somebody else do that in just a minute. But he's falling at Jesus' feet. And where does he want Jesus to join him? At his house. Right? In, in, in ancient times, a lot of great stuff happened in homes. Right? It, 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 it's the same reason we love for growth groups to meet in people's homes. There's just, there's just great things that happen in people's homes. So, so, so Jesus wants to go with him. right? Because look at this. Because we're going to see why. In verse 42, it says this. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Right? And so, so here's, here's why this is a, a big deal. Right Now, this account is also found in two other Gospels. It's also found in, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26, and Mark chapter 5. And so, so if you want to jot those down, it's fun to, to kind of compare and contrast how the different Gospels see the same story. What's interesting, I, I believe this is the only miracle that's intertwined with another miracle, because we're going to see Jesus and a, a woman here in a little bit. And in all of the Gospel accounts, they're together. In this, and, and so this story is meant to be told together. And so, so what happens though is, is that Jairus is about to lose their only child. Now, Gospel of Luke is the only one that says how old she is, that she's 12 years old. Here's why that's important 12 years old was the gateway from childhood to adulthood. Right, so, so this little girl, being this family's only little girl, was about to step into adulthood, which meant in the next few years, most likely, uh, she would be married to a good Jewish man, raise good Jewish kids, and the family line would continue. Jarius would have someone to pass uh, their, their, their wealth to, to pass their, their home to. It'd be someone to carry on the family name. And so this was a big deal that if she dies, so does a big chunk of their hopes and dreams for Jarius and his wife. And so he does what he knows to do, and that's to go to Jesus. Because if Jesus can heal the crazy naked guy, surely he can take care of our little precious daughter, right? And so here's what happens. Jesus says yes and goes with him, goes with him to heal the daughter, goes with him into his house. And we know this because of the rest of verse 42. It says, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Now, again, Luke is a doctor, right? And so the details are so important because, because Jesus, I mean, Luke is saying that Jesus went with Jairus, but as he did, who else went with him? 
Everyone, right? And the crowd was so big that they were literally pressed up against Jesus, right? And pressed up against uh, Jairus. Right now, imagine, y'all, think back with me to two years ago when you were in a crowd, right? Now, imagine, right, because, I mean, if we're in crowds now, we're kind of spread out. We haven't, like, I don't know that anybody's actually been in a crowd where people are pressed up against you in over two years, right? And if they do, your first thought is, get, get back, <laughs> I don't know you, I don't know your story, I don't know where you've been, just keep your distance, Right? Well, they were probably still doing that then, but, but, but they were pressed up against Jesus, pressed up against Jairus, pressed up against the disciples. It was this, it was this crowd. Now, y'all, I've been in trains before uh, in foreign countries more than two years ago where, like, the train pulls up to the station, and it doesn't matter if it's full. You're getting on. And I've had to fight my way. The door opens and nobody moves, right? Like, like the people are still standing there. And you have to get on because if you don't, there's some old woman behind you that's going to take her thumb and stick you in the rear to get you to move on ahead. Like, like that, that's legit. That's what happens. And so you fight your way to get on. And it's so crowded that, you know, they have those fun little rails and the little things you can hang on to. You don't need them in these trains because they are so crowded. When the train takes off, this is what you do. Like, it's that, everybody just moves like this. We are right up against each other. That's what it felt like for Jesus and his disciples. Y'all, here's why this is important. It's going to become clear in just a minute when you see this woman about, about why that image is so important in your head, right? Because, because let's look at verse 43, right? So this is the kind of crowd gathered around Jesus. In verse 33, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Which you know, as a doctor, uh, Luke probably had a hard time writing that verse. Right? (laughs) Right? Because he's admitting what he does for a profession doesn't work for everyone. Right? But, But he put it there. Right? Which is one of the evidences that the Gospels are truly written by the hand of God, not by the hand of man. Because if any of us were writing that, we'd probably tweak that just a little bit. Right? Like, like... She didn't see any doctors. I mean, she saw all the doctors she could. Obviously not me. Who, you know, like, 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 like we would put something in there, right? Well, here's the deal. In this crowd, there is this woman. So you've got Jesus, Jairus, and you've got the disciples and all these people pushed around them. And in this crowd is also this woman who has been sick for 12 years with, with bleeding, right? And, and so let me catch you up on what this means for her, right? Because if she was sick for 12 years, right? It meant that just the physical side of it, the chronic side of it, if you've ever suffered with chronic illness, you know that being sick for 12 years takes a lot out of you, right? Like, like she was spent physically. Chronic illness causes stress. You know, I, I've seen support groups for people with chronic illness because it's such a heavy load. Right? So, so she had that. But then, because her illness caused bleeding, she was also considered ritualistically, ceremonially unclean. Right? So she couldn't go to worship. She couldn't go to the synagogue. As a matter of fact, the fact that she's in this crowd is wrong. She's not supposed to be there. 
because she's unclean. She's not even supposed to be around people, right? And so not only is she spent emotionally in the stress of chronic illness, she also can't be around people. And then, then you add on top of that, she ain't got no money anymore. Right? She spent all the money she had to try and find somebody that would help her, somebody that would heal her. And so, so she is spent and she is separated and she is completely broke, is what Luke is showing us. She literally has no one. She is completely empty. And so let me, let me zoom out for a minute. Let me step back. Because what Luke is doing is he's focusing on two people in this crowd. He's focusing uh, on this full crowd. And in this crowd is, is a man who has, who's about to have an empty home. Right? If, if his daughter dies, his home is empty. And he also focuses in on this woman who is empty. She's got no people She's got no money. She's got nothing. And yet, the crowd around them is completely full, packed in. And so here's what I want to stop on in just a minute and do this kind of pastor's heart thing. Here's what I know. I know that no matter whether you're online, no matter whether you're here in person, you can be in a crowd and feel empty. That you can even feel empty in this crowd of Jesus following people. And, and, and here's the deal. I, I want to stop and I want to acknowledge that. And I want to acknowledge that, that, that you're not alone. Right? Th- this is a church that, that we try our best to love you wherever you are because we know that Jesus does. And so I want you to know, no matter who you are or where you are, we really are here for you because Jesus is here for you. And you're going to be able to do exactly what we see Jarius and this woman do as well. Look at verse 44. Verse 44. It says, she came up behind him. So this is the woman that's been bleeding for 12 years. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And so, so, so here's what she does. She reaches out and touches his garment. Now, interestingly, Luke tells us where she touched Jesus. So, so in, in what Jesus wore, his, his outfit, if you will, you know, when he got dressed in the morning, um, he would have this prayer shawl, right? And this prayer shawl had tassels on it. Now, sometimes, sometimes this, the, the, the shawl went all the way to the ground. Uh, we see in other gospels, sometimes the tassels were really big because people wanted to show off their, their prayer shawl. We see that. But here we see that she touched Jesus' back, which means he wasn't wearing it all the way to the ground. He had it swooped over his shoulder, which is pretty common. They would, they would uh, throw it over their shoulder, and so the tassel was hanging down at the middle of his back. Now, here's why this is important. Remember, this woman isn't supposed to be in this crowd. This woman is the woman that has the feeling that that I wanted you to hold on to at the beginning of playing hide and seek, right? Where, where, Where she knows Jesus is it, but she doesn't want to be completely found just yet. And so she doesn't stand in front of him like Jarius did. She comes up behind him and she touches his back. She touches the little tassel on on his prayer shawl. Now, why did she do this? I I, I think I know why, and I'll I'll explain it in just a minute. But what I want to see is how Jesus responds to that, because it's something wonderful that Jesus does. Because look at verse 45, and we, we have our question for the day. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? 
right? So this woman sneaks up behind Jesus and touches the back of his back, the small of his back. She touches the, the, the tassel hanging down, and Jesus responds, whoa, 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 stop. Something just happened. Somebody touched me. The NIV says it this way, who touched me, right? Now remember, our questions of Jesus are to do two things, or to do what? Do you remember the two words? They are to show and grow, right? To show us who Jesus is and to help us grow to trust him more. So what we're about to see is Jesus show us who he is so that we can trust him more. So let's see who Jesus, what Jesus is going to show us about himself. In verse 45, <clears throat> it says, when all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowd surrounded you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone has touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And so here's the deal. No one in this crowd that's pressed in around Jesus, no one's fessing up, right? They're all like, I didn't do it. I, 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 didn't, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I, mean, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't touch you. But see, Jesus knows something wonderful has happened. And here's the deal. There's only two people in this crowd right now that know what had happened. One is trying to hide, and the other one's asking the question. They're the only two in this crowd that know what just happened. Y'all, this is Jesus' ready or not, here I come moment. And she is holding her breath. Because she's not supposed to be close to anyone. But here's the deal. She can't hide. Look at verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden. Okay, so here's my question. As I was preparing this sermon, this, this part jumped out at me. I was like, how did we go from a crowd pressing in around Jesus to all of a sudden this woman can't be hidden anymore? What happened in these couple of verses from this crowd being around Jesus to where Peter says, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about who's touching me? To all of a sudden this woman is standing out in the open. Let me, let me tell you what I imagine might have happened. Because here's the deal. In this moment, she is found. Right? And, and is she found so that Jesus can shame her? No. Because what we're about to see is, is going to be beautiful. Because Jesus' questions are never meant to produce shame. Right? They're, they're meant to show us who he is and to expose belief. Well, look at what happens to this woman. In verse 47, it says, And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. Right? So, so here's, all of a sudden, I, here's what I think happened. And this is, this is speculation, but I think it kind of fits, and here's why. Because there's something that Luke shows us in the Greek that I discovered that I didn't realize was there. Because, because what Luke shows us is that there was this crowd pushed around, and then this woman came, and it says she fell down, right? So as I was studying, I was like, wait, Jairus fell down, and she fell down. I wonder if it's the same word. It's not the same word. They fell down differently. Right, what Jarius did, Jarius did like the good polite bow. Like he, he's a good British guy, right? Good Presbyterian. He comes up to Jesus and, 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 and he bows down. He's like, you know, can you, can you help my daughter? Yes. Here's what she does. The word used here is that she is flat out on her face. Right? She hasn't kneeled before God. She is face down before him, which means the crowd must have separated. Now, I think I know why, because she's not supposed to be there, right? Luke wanted to make it clear that we understood she'd been bleeding for 12 years. She hasn't been to church in 12 years. Here's what happened. When Jesus said, who touched me, everybody look around, looked around, and all of a sudden they saw her, you know, 
her. That woman that's not, that woman that hasn't been to church in 12 years. That woman, that woman who's been sick for 12 years, and we all know when somebody has chronic illness, it's because of sin, right? Like she's got sin in her life. And she's not repenting of it. That's why, that's why she's not getting better. Right? They see her, the woman, the woman that they say, well, my life might be bad, but at least it's not as bad as hers. Right? And they see her standing in this crowd. And they know. Because remember, y'all, this is a small village. Right? Anybody go to a small high school or grow up in a small town? Who knows your business? Everybody. Right? They know her, and they look at her, and they're like, you are not supposed to be here. And so what do they do? They all start stepping back. And they're like, she's unclean. She's not supposed to be here. And all of a sudden, the crowd separates, and who's left? The only two people that know what just happened, Jesus and her. And in this moment, she falls flat on her face in worship to Jesus. And here's the deal. You had Jairus who bowed, and you have her who fell flat on her face, right? Jesus accepts them both. You don't have to come to Jesus a certain way. You just come to Jesus, right? Because that's what they did, right? Now, let's stop here for a moment because there's something I want us to, to think about and consider. We all have different crowds that are around us, right? Now, our crowds might be very different. Our crowds could be made up of family. It could be made up of friends. It could be made up of coworkers. It could be followers on social media. We all have these, these people that are around us. And y'all listen to me. A crowd is, is anybody. It's the people that you have in your life. And we all have these crowds around us. But here's what happens with crowds. And you see this throughout the Gospels. Crowds step back for all kinds of reasons. Right? We, we live in, in, in what's called a cancel, a, a cancel culture right now. In other words, you say something wrong and guess what happens? The crowd leaves. And when I say wrong, I just mean something that the crowd disagrees with. Right? It can actually be very right. But the crowd leaves. Crowds are also very fickle, aren't they? You can be the cool kid today and Mr. Nobody tomorrow. And you're the same person. But crowds just leave because they like you one day and they don't like you the next. Right? Y'all, here's what we see in this moment. When her crowd left, Jesus didn't. Right? And so something for us to consider is when the crowd leaves, remember that Jesus doesn't. Jesus stays. When the crowd leaves, Jesus stays. Y'all, we've gone through the past two years where our crowd has left. And I'm not talking about the church. I am talking about like your own personal life, the life that we used to have. Remember parties, right? Remember just going and hanging out with people and being around big groups of people. That's slowly coming back. But we've been through a season where we know what it's like for the crowds to leave. And Jesus shows us that he's still there. Right? This is our Jesus. He stays when everyone else leaves. He sticks, us, he sticks with us when, when nobody else does. And when the crowd leaves, here's the deal. Y'all, 
we can actually see Jesus better when the crowd leaves. Sometimes, sometimes the crowd covers up Jesus, and maybe, maybe you're empty in a crowd. Maybe this is Jesus' invitation to you to let the crowd leave so that you can see Jesus. Maybe it's time for you to see Jesus. Maybe it's time to see him as the only one who hasn't left you, the only one who won't leave you. Right? Because look at what happens. Look at what she does next in verse 47. In the last part, it says, And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. And what does she do? She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Y'all, listen, if this is playing hide and seek, she has been found, right? Because here's what she does. She declares why she touched Jesus and how she had been healed. And can I tell you what this is called? In church, we use this word testimony, right? Testimony means you you tell people what Jesus has done for you. And in some church cultures, you don't gather together in a church without somebody sharing their testimony. Not, Not just of salvation, but what Jesus did for them this week. Right, what Jesus did for them this morning. And it is, it is a beautiful thing to hear people stand up and share their testimony. This is her first testimony because what she does is she's told how Jesus has changed her life immediately. Now, we don't know exactly what she said. People have speculated that maybe it was superstition that that she touched the back of his, of his garment. There was one commentator that, uh, and actually multiple commentators have said this, and I think this is a better picture. And, and I even think Andrew touched on this a few weeks ago in, in a sermon that he did a, a few weeks back. But in the Old Testament, there is this book called Malachi. You might also know him as Malachi, the Italian prophet. Uh, but it's the last book of the, of the Old Testament. Right? And it's a book that was actually written during our series of Ezra and Nehemiah. Like it was written to, uh, yeah, to, to them. And what's interesting, it's, it's the last book of the Old Testament and it closes looking forward to the coming Messiah. Looking forward to the Jesus that was to come. And in that last chapter of Malachi, you see this verse. Malachi wrote this to the people of Israel, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings and you shall go forth leaping like calves from the, from the stall. Now, I don't know if y'all have ever seen a calf leaping from the stall. stall. Um, it is an awkward thing, first of all, right? But it is a beautiful thing to see life happen like this. And Malachi is saying, listen, there is a coming Messiah And he is coming with healing. And he is coming to give you beauty in your life. And so so this woman would would know that that word. As a matter of fact, y'all, here's where it gets real fun. The word for wings in Hebrew, it's the same word for prayer shawl. Right? It's, it's the exact same word. Because if it, was, if it was, you know, worn full out, you know, Jesus had his like this. If it was worn full out, like a guy could lift up his hands and it would look like wings, right? And so it's the, it's the same word. Well, here's what she does. I, I truly believe this woman had this verse in her head because she knew she needed to, to, to have life again. She knew she wanted to be like a calf leaping from the stall. Like, like, like she knew that's what she wanted. And she knew and trusted that Jesus is the son of righteousness. Jesus is the one that Malachi talked about. He's the Messiah that the nation of Israel needs. And it says right here in Malachi that he has healing in his wings. 
He has healing in his prayer shawl. And so I think she stepped up behind him with this verse in her head, seeing Jesus as the son of righteousness and seeing his prayer shawl as the place where healing would come because she came up by, by faith and she just touched it and then was immediately healed. And, and so I wonder if, if her seeing Jesus as the Messiah Right? I, I can see her saying this verse as she reached out to, to touch him. That the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you'll go forth like a, a calf leaping from the, straw, from the, from the stall. And, and she touched him. And as she's saying this to the crowd who is separated from her. And she's saying, Jesus, you are the son of righteousness. And I trusted you for healing. And guess what? For 12 years, no doctor has been able to touch this. But you, you healed me in an instant. When no amount of money and no amount of medicine could do it. Now look at Jesus' response in verse 48. In verse 48, Jesus says this. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. In other words, she, he looked at her and he said, you know what? I am the son of righteousness. You're right. You, you sought me for healing by faith and guess what? You got it. Now go in peace. Go. Don't worry about this anymore. Go. Don't worry about bleeding anymore. Go and have life. Go be the calf leaping from the stall. Now, now, now go. You see, Jesus attributed her healing to faith, her seeing Jesus as the Messiah, the, the coming Savior, that, that, that her position, you know, being flat out on the ground is a position of faith, and her words are this picture of faith. You see, can I ask y'all a question? Can I get up in your business for just a minute? Let me ask you this. Is Jesus the son of righteousness to you. Like, let me, let me get a little more specific with this question. Is Jesus real to you? Now, I didn't say, was Jesus real to you? I'm asking you, is Jesus real to you? Is he a part of your life today? Is he a part of your life this morning? Right, Because some of you, even in this place, you have been hiding from him or you have been hiding a piece of you from him. Well, here's the deal. Let Jesus into that place. Reach out. Touch him. He's just an arm length away. Like, like she was there. And you can touch him. You can let him into that place where you hide from him. And he will meet you there. You know Why? Because he is real. And then, and then you can do what she does. Let me ask you another question. Does the crowd around you need to hear about your Jesus? Because there's a reason that this is here. And, 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 and if you'll let me, I, I'd like to actually encourage you. Because this is where a good preacher just lays on the guilt. I'm, I'm going to try not to do that. Right? I'm going to encourage you with this. That when you tell how Jesus is changing you, what you actually do is you show how he can change someone else. You, cho you, see how, you show how he can change the person that's hearing your story. The testimony of Jesus in your life, get this, speaks prophetically about what Jesus can do in someone else's life.
right? Like that's why we tell this. The, when you share the story of Jesus in your life, and y'all, I know some of you, you've been around church, church so long, you think that I mean the story of how you came to know Jesus. That's super important. And yes, do that. But here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the story of Jesus in your life today. When you tell how Jesus met your need today into someone's life, you invite someone else, not just the unbeliever, but the believer too, to invite Jesus into the story of their life today. Your testimony is prophecy. Your testimony of what Jesus is doing for you is prophetic about what he can do for someone else. Now, how do I know this? I'm not making this stuff up. Look look at what happens. Right, Your Jesus story allows others to invite Jesus into their story because look at what happens to Jairus. Remember him? Like That's why I think these stories are intertwined because Jairus needs to hear what this woman just said. Because look at what happens to him. It says, while uh, he was still speaking. So while Jesus was saying, hey, I am the son of righteousness. Your faith has healed you. Now go in peace. While Jesus was saying that, Someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe. She will be well. See, here's the deal. As this woman finishes up her testimony, just talking about how Jesus met her, she didn't even know about what Jarius needs. Like, like she doesn't have Jarius on her mind. She's got Jesus on her mind. But Jesus has Jarius on his mind because he knows what just happened. His daughter just died. And he looks at Jarius and he says, just believe. And what happens is Jarius can believe because he just heard Jesus' power to make someone well. Right? You see, Jesus healed this woman And her story that he just heard encourages Jesus in his story. Right? Her story of what belief looks like allows him to walk with Jesus to his house. Because you notice, he doesn't tell Jesus, go away. They keep going to to Jairus' house. You You see, what she allowed him to do in telling her story is to believe that Jesus could do the same for her. That Jesus could be his savior, just like he was hers. Because look at verse 51. 51 says this. It says, and when they came to the house, right? So they kept going. He didn't tell Jesus to stop. He said, no, come on. That was his act of belief. His act of belief was like, Jesus, my daughter is dead, but let's go do this thing, right? Let's do this, right? And when he came to the house, Jesus allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the father and mother of the child. And they were all weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but just sleeping. And look what the crowd did. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Right? So so there's a crowd there, too. I love how the crowd kind of interweaves in this story consistently. And now what's happening is Jesus walks in. And, and tells them, well, she's, 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 not, she's not dead. She's, she's asleep. And they laugh. Y'all, here's the deal. The crowd can deceive us. The crowd can lead us down a wrong path. The, the crowd uh, can make us feel better about ourselves or they can make us feel lonely and, and anxious. But no matter what the crowd does, Jesus is always there. 
Right? And, and, and what I love about this, he's here for you today, right? Whether you need healing, just like uh, they did, he will meet you there. Do you need to reach out to him for salvation? Like, let him be your savior. Let him be your Lord. Guess what? He is there for you to say yes to him. Do you need to, uh, an addiction in your life to be broken? Jesus is there, right? Do you need to be restored? Jesus is there. You see, and as Jesus meets you, right, the question is, who, who can you tell, right? Because, because the, here's, here's what's great. You know, this crowd leaves again, and, and, and Jesus asked them to leave again. Like, y'all, sometimes the crowd's got to leave. Sometimes you have to ask the crowd to leave so you can see Jesus do what he's going to do. And I'm going to tell you, some of us fight to get the attention of the crowd, when we've got Jesus' full attention the whole time, right? Look at verse 54. It says, but, but taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat, and her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And, you, and you'll see this phrase sprinkled in in the Gospels that Jesus kept telling people, Hey, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. Some commentators think it was for crowd control. There was already a crowd around him, right? Like, like it, it depends on the different situation. But, but here we see that, that he healed her. And y'all, he can heal you too. And the question is, who needs to hear about Jesus in your life? Who needs to, who needs to hear what Jesus, how Jesus has met you today so that they can invite Jesus to meet them today? Because, y'all, here's what I'm going to do. This is a scary pastor thing, all right? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you by name, right? And here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that Jesus is real to you this week. That's what I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray that there's someone around you that needs to hear that. And that God will make that known to you. Right? Because here's what I know. I know there's a a city around us, there's a people around us who don't even know that they need to know that Jesus is real and he's real to you and they need what Jesus is doing for you just to give them hope and to give them encouragement and to help them carry on. And so church, I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna pray for you during the week to let Jesus be real to you so that you can tell how real he is to someone else. Let's pray. Jesus, this is your word, and um, I pray that you will do with it what only you can do. I pray that anything that is not of you, you will wipe from our memory. And we won't dwell on it, we won't think about it, but what is you, we will. And what you speak to us, we will hold on to. And God, I do pray for us as a church, I pray for us as Fellowship Asheville, that you will meet us right where we are, that we will reach out to you, and you will meet us, and there will be a lightness that comes with it. There will be a relief. There will be a peace. There will be a compassion and a kindness that comes with it. There will be whatever it is that needs to be that it is clear that it is you and not just coffee or a good meal. Right? And God, I pray that you will put in our path the person who needs to hear that. And I pray, too, that you would give us the words to speak it.
the simple, the simple truth that Jesus is with us. And God, I pray that you would get the glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen.